I think like hunting, hunting the public ground, like gives you a lot of freedom in terms of, of stress in your own mind. Like you're not concerned with like ruining someone else's hunt or ruining like some sort of pattern that someone else has, or like you're concerned about hunting your own property or whatever. You're just like, yeah, it's public. Like I can go here because maybe tomorrow someone else will. Like there's no stress about it. Yep, pretty much. That's is that public to me is uh like the reason I like public ground so much is because I can if you go to a big enough public piece where you can kind of chase the deer back to where they live or where they're going. If you're on a small private piece, you can't really like the deer might cross through your piece, but doesn't mean he's living there. He might be betting on the neighbors. So you got to like, you know, play this cat and mouse game. And I don't really like doing that. I would rather go find the deer where they live. And it's just more of a, I call it like a, um, the Indian way that the, you know, natives used to spear and arrows like yeah. style. they would have to find the animals where they live and as they move through different stages of summer you know fall winter you have to do different things and that's why i like public big public pieces i don't really focus on the small ones as much because i can kind of go and find the animals and learn and you actually learn like so much about a deer and what they're doing and their habitat and the food sources. It makes you a better hunter, not just I can wait in a box blind for 17 days straight and kill a big buck because he has to come to this field. Like that's not. Yeah, dude. I, uh, I, I agree to a lot of that. Like I enjoy, like I've hunted. So I've hunted, we got a piece of private four years ago. And it's a hundred acres and there are very few deer that actually just live and move in and out of that like hundred acre chunk. Most of them live on the neighbors and pass through ours to get to something. We have water, we have food. So like they come off the neighbors and they pass through like very few, like I can't, I've, there's been one time, two times in four years of hunting this where I have walked up on a buck a buck that's a maturity or over 140 inches and it's been bedded on our property i've only jumped them twice right and i have tried we have done deer drives i've tried to find them (laughs) Um, and that's the that's just the realism the struggle i mean and uh you know statistically they say to know that a deer is living on your property you have to have somewhere between five thousand and eight thousand acres to know for a fact that it's on your property it's just I don't have that much. Their their ranges are so big. And, and that and you know, you've the studies are coming out now. Missouri showed that one buck that was collared that went like 80 some miles. Penn State's done studies that they've shown they've went seven, eight miles in a loop. Every buck's different, but generally speaking, they don't stay in a little area. They they have a big home range. Yeah. Yeah. So prime example this year, I have three bucks on our property that are three, three, like mature deer, two of them, um, were kind of together in the early season, like in like August and September. And then all of a sudden they switched and I got a picture of one, like every two to three days. And the other one, I got a picture of once every four weeks. Like I've only got four pictures of that deer total since September but they were all, they were always together. So like they totally broke apart and doing totally different things. Yeah, And they did, they just kind of disperse and 
I mean, deer do loop. It's weird. They do like loops. They mm-hmm. kind of they have their bachelor groups early, and then whenever they break off to where they live, then they have their loops, and their loops kind of wherever they. If you got a picture looking down on a map where they intersect each other, is kind of those homing points where you want to hunt because that's your best chances of hitting their their patterns on multiple deer's patterns, and that's kind of what yeah. you're doing as a hunter is figuring out, okay, every three days he's here, every four days this one's here, but they cross, and I've had them on both this camera. That's probably your best bet to catch them on different loop patterns, depending on the weather, different parameters. Are you finding, like, where those kind of intersect, are you finding scrapes in those areas too? Yeah, and that, uh, I mean, I'm a big uh, proponent on finding scrapes and uh, not really rub lines necessarily because rub lines can tell you directions, but with the mountainous country that I hunt, um, they don't really go in a straight line because the terrain doesn't allow it. Um, They'll rub maybe a a 15, 20 yard section in a line, but they're not going to make, I've seen in like Midwest where I've been, a hundred yard scrape line or a rub line. That's this very distinctual. I've never, I've never found that in the big woods or anything that I've hunted. Yeah. I'm, I would agree. Like scrape lines certainly are, or I'm sorry, scrapes. I find them more advantageous than rubs um, for, for that reason, but also like rubs can be hit once and like never touched again. Right. They're cool. Find them. Awesome. Um, They may be used more than once. They may not like, it, it's a, it's a, there, I've found maybe three or four rubs in my lifetime that are definitely historical rubs year after year after year, but it's, you don't know what deer are hitting those and what are it, I mean, it's a scent post to sign. I, uh, I meant to put a camera on one this year. It's just never got around to it, but yeah, you find more hub scrapes that are in a historical area than you would anywhere else. Right. Uh, hub scrapes are kind of like your central uh communication point it's kind of like the your local hometown bar that's on the corner your you know your little tavern everybody that lives in the area eventually comes in to eat and have a beer and kind of you know bs and that's kind of what i look at a scrape is a big hub scrape is you kind of learn what lives around and then right. the more frequent deer live probably closer yeah, and that's generally, as you mentioned, where those loops from those bucks will typically like overlap at some point yes. and cross. And that's why you get multiple mature deer in one camera and 50 yards away, you you only get one. You get, yeah, that's exactly right. And and that's this the hardest part is figuring out the directions from, I mean, I use cameras to basically tell me directions they're coming to and from and then i will correlate that data with okay let's say november 10th i had three mature deer come into this camera from right to left i know which way it's facing you go back into your historical data on your weather app and be like okay it was a northwest wind 10 mile an hour which means it was pretty strong they came basically into the wind the whole time so that would tell you that your direction that you should approach that if you want to hunt it in a scenario, what direction you expect them to come from. Are they circling downwind of it? There, there's a lot of parameters because 
a lot of young deer will just march right into a scrape, scrape it and leave. Um, if you ever hunted a scrape long enough, you'll watch these big deer will do a giant circle around it. Sometimes I've watched where they won't even actually come to the scrape. Uh, they will just scent check it and keep, keep going. From, yeah, from like when they scent check it, are you seeing like 10 yards, like 30 yards, 60 10, yards or 10 to 15 yards? Um, they get close enough that they can just kind of win, win check it. Uh, they don't have mm -hmm. to visually see anything or, or, or smell details. They just, because if a doe was an estrus and she used it, it's strong enough for him to know. And then he'll come, you know, then he'll walk in and check and make sure and now which direction. They're kind of like a hound dog. Have you, have you ever seen like on your camera, like, or in certain scenarios where, deer are only it seems like you're only seeing mature deer come from a direction they only come from the right or they only come from the left in my areas i don't know i i, I not that i not at the top of my head um, so like they're always kind of crisscrossing always crisscrossing okay but i've noticed that I only get daylight movement in one direction. And when it's at night, I get it in both directions. Ah, uh, okay. So then like, have you, uh, all right. So then that would tell you like during which daylight. Tells, which tells like, me primary bedding in the day is you backtrack. Right. Where their nighttime movements, nocturnal is kind of all over the place because I mean, they don't Most care. Big deer are nocturnal. I mean, it just gets, that's a kind of a known thing. It's very hard to get them in daylight, um, but it just tells me directions that I have to kind of get closer. And I'm pretty, I'm a pretty aggressive hunter. I like to get as close to where I think they live as possible. Um, again, just because this is public, you don't know who else is going to walk through the woods just randomly. Um, so I take my aggressiveness pretty serious just because you don't know the difference. If, if you're not aggressive for a week and then you want to get aggressive, maybe it's too late and somebody just walked through there, just scouting, hiking, doing it, bird hunting. I mean, there's a lot of different things. People aren't just there to deer hunt. I got guys walking through the woods to look for grouse. I got guys look, look bears scouting for bears, walking through to put their tree stands up just to go through walk in the woods. I mean, it, there's so many things that people use public ground for and it's, you know, so I, that's why I use the aggressiveness to get as close and figure it out as fast as I can. Yeah. Uh, that, that makes sense. I had a guy the other day that was just baffled that I had my dog out on public ground and I was just going for a walk. Like he was like, you're, you're, you don't have a gun. You're not, well, you're not wearing all the blaze orange you need to for hunting. And I'm like, I'm not hunting. And he's like, well, I, you have to wear orange. And I was like, no, I'm literally on the trail, just walking there's, my dog. I'm going yeah, there's like our state. Um, there's no law saying you don't have to, it's just recommended. It, yeah. They put it on signs. Like hunter, it, I've seen it everywhere. It says hunters wear orange. You should too. Yeah. And it's just a safety thing, but that's only during like heavy gun season. If it's bow season. Oh, this guy was pheasant hunting. Like, yeah. you know, and I was on, so, and I wasn't like the piece of, I, I should give more context to that because people are like, well, yeah, duh, Anthony, you should wear orange. I'm on a main 
like trail. It goes right by a guy's house. It's about a half to three quarters. And you're literally walking between ag fields that are already picked. So like, you're just walking through, you know, this big Very wide big. open area. Yeah, and I, big. yeah, I'm not like walking through like bedding areas and getting off and stuff like that. No. And, and the guy was just baffled, but, um, but yeah. Okay. So curious, curious chain kind of jumping a little bit curious for the, for like how you like to hunt and how you like to move and, and navigate all that uh, uh, public ground and getting in after it. Um, like you're in Tennessee right now, you're going to go be hunting a little bit of private, potentially some private, also a, a big chunk of public. Yep. Like if you're not having Intel and you're going into these public pieces for the first time or, or it is, or you've, or even if you've been there a lot, like it's December uh, 7th right now, this will air around the 12th or 13th. And then you're going out there post gun seasons for a lot of States. Like, are you still like looking at scrapes a little bit? Are you just like trying to find sign? Are you trying to bump deer and then over here? The way I'm going to approach this hunt, let's just use it as an example, is I've never been here in my life. Um, I'm going to look at access areas. I'm going to drive around and look at potential access places. And depending on where you're at in the country, in the state. So I'm in Tennessee, which the winds are typically from the west, northwest, west, southwest. Um, Now, as you get farther to more your area in Wisconsin, you get more of that downshift where you have more of a northerly wind um, because the way that the jet stream yeah. goes through. So good knowledge, follow, man. When you follow the, these patterns, you got to, that's called, it's just the prevailing winds of the year. So I'm going to start on the Western side of the pieces of public um, because I have found historically more mature deer like to bed with their wind at their back mm-hmm. looking downhill so they have basically multiple escape routes and ha- and ha- they cover multiple bases for danger so they'll be bedded on a easterly slope maybe southeast northeast something um with a with the wind over their back looking downhill so i will be looking basically at these points that's farther away from access points that's kind of where i'm going to start and then it just happens to be most times think about okay and that you find sheds or you hear about people finding sheds on south facing slopes that's because the the hemisphere you know the sun warms up the south facing slope so now it's in december so now instead of looking more of the northern slopes i just start looking more of those southern and then you got to remember the winds so now it's southeastern slopes so it pretty much is narrowing down this point this point this point when you're looking on maps when it has terrain features and one if out of if you hit 10 of them and put boots on the ground most likely you're going to find a mature deer bedded on one of those it's just whether or not now it comes to your hunting skills whether if you're going to go walking in there, just marching through. Or what I like to do is I like to still hunt really slow and, and wait for right. Like this week's perfect, even though it's warm there, we have some rain coming through, which is going to deaden the leaves and the sound. And it's going to make it really quiet for me to walk. So I'm going to sneak through these sections. 
slow as I possibly can, slow as I can, and I glass. Basically, what I do is I walk, I glass as far as I can, and now I'll, I'll walk another 30, 40 yards, glass again, and I'll just continue picking apart everything. And I might even be able to see signs, scrapes, rubs, whatever I need to figure out that I need that then that tells me, okay, there's more sign going down off the hill on this, this piece of terrain. I should probably follow it to see where it's going. And yeah, it's just, sure. it's a constant, once you do that, it, you replicate that over and over and over. And eventually you're going to catch up to one. And then it's basically, hopefully you have a opportunity. Yeah. No, it's a great, I, I like the uh, analytical approach. <laughs> um, South to East. To, yeah. yeah it, it, I mean, it makes sense. It's rep. Once you understand it and you've done it enough, you can replicate that over and over. And now you're, you can just basically, you know, take a terrain feature, find it on a map, pick up, move, you know, hundred miles, do it again. And it's going to be pretty similar. Yeah, no, I mean that, it makes sense. So when you're when you're coming in, like you said, you're kind of going to start on the western side of that that piece of public. When you're coming in, like you're, are you like doing all your you're doing all your satellite scouting? I assume, right? Satellite yeah. and topographic scouting, and then just like, are you marking these points that you want to check, and then you just like systematically go from one to the next to the next? Yeah, I'll just basically I, I marked down a few already, and um, for this. This instance, I'm hunting near a water source, a, a, a river. So it runs kind of north to south. So it just, that's the reason I picked it is, so now there's a water source at the bottom, which is basically also a barrier that mm -hmm. people don't like to go near or deer don't like to basically cross as much in the winter time. But they, but big mature deer will use that as a, defense mechanism they'll bed right off of rivers and once you start learning these things i mean like you'll watch the hunting public they hunt river systems a lot and see bucks bedded right off the river it's yeah. not really like a it's, it's not a secret it's just it's hard to basically them not know you're there that's the hard. That's the hardest part is getting into a hunting situation. Basically, okay, if you're gonna bow hunt late season, how am I gonna get in a tree next to, you know, this system, without bumping the deer that are there? That's that's right. basically the hardest part. And is that just like feeling out the scenario? Like, how much yeah. can I push in? How much do I need to sit back? Yeah, it's just everywhere is a little different depending on foliage, depending on, you know, ground cover, um, food sources, uh, winds. There's there's a lot of parameters, but typically if it's a windy day, you can push a little closer. If it's a more calm day, you got to back off a little bit. And and in their Midwestern states, you got a lot of grass foliage on the and, you know, briars, so to speak, where you can kind of sneak and use those bushes to your advantage where I've actually like glassed up deer bedded, catch a piece of their, like their rear end or maybe their antler or something and, and just backed off and you just wait and then you ground hunt. Yeah. That, that scene that, yeah, that's one thing I think people may not um, appreciate or utilize enough is just the fact that, Hey, like I don't have to get in a tree. 
Like if now, this is the position I need to be in, like I'm good with it. I, I mean, I saddle hunt as much as the next guy. I love saddle hunting, but it's not always the best thing to do. Like every the, today's hunting world is so like central focused on getting in a tree or getting in a, in a, in a, like a elevated blind or, and it's like, why? Like, <laughs> I can see early season, like, you know, through the fall, there's leaves on the trees right now. There's, you look up in the, in the canopy, there's nothing. You know, and if it's a right. still, if it's a still night and you're moving around, you, I can pick that out a hundred yards away. Yeah. Still hunting, I mean, it's, and then you add in like I'm doing, I'm filming. You're starting to add in these factors. It's just, you're better off staying on the ground if you can. And getting in some deadfall or something and just yes. kind of use some that start turkey hunting deer and you'll be surprised and like how how well how close you can get to them dude the hard i've done it a few times and the hardest part always ends up being like see a seeing them before they see you yep and then b trying to draw <laughs> no, that, that, is, that is the hardest part um so i i like to use um i like to use logs and just get on the back side of one and what I like to do is, is stand next to it. So if you find a log that's leaning, that's like on a tree, I like to stand next to the tree and have all my stuff kind of like laying on the log so I can like watch them coming and then get down and, and basically get ready. So you can see right. them. Before, so it's taken off, you know, one thing you catch them before they see you. But if they do catch you, you're standing in most of the time in a still position where you can just freeze and they might just, let right you off as a log yeah that's when you need to let your camo do the work right yes <laughs> you don't really you know today's world is you you, you see all these old timers all these guys you'll how, how are these old guys killing big deer it's you know they're patient and they don't move it it's not rocket science there's no uh special formula it's just they they've done it for a long time they know when to move and when not to move and, that, and that's kind of like i've learned from that my father's taught me a lot of that and then i just I, I i challenge myself throughout the year how close can i get to deer and what can i get away with before they catch me yeah that then you just get experience it's basically the experience points and you just you know learn and, learn and learn and learn yeah. <laughs> yeah and on public ground it doesn't matter <laughs> well, you blow them out. It's like, well, I, I, I blow out a lot of deer. Um, right. Almost 75% of the deer I see, I almost blow out just because a lot of the times, like just the other day, for instance, I seen nine does, but I was walking and then they caught and I caught the movement, but I had no cover. I just kneeled down, but they kept coming and they got so close that they pinned me. And it's just like, there's nothing you can do. The wind might be in your face. You got everything, but they kept feeding across right. this flat. They were feeding on oaks. They, they end up blowing out. And yep. then they, they went to my north and I had to go. That's the direction I was hunting. An hour later, I seen them again, like half mile away. But that piece of, that, that's public ground where I had another opportunity if I needed it. Right. Yeah, man. I same, same scenario got into a situ, got into a piece of public, uh, here by the house. Um, so there's, yeah, by me, big, big, uh, big swamp with like 
some islands, but like egg bordering, egg and woods bordering. Um, this this giant swamp. It's about six thousand acres, so you got a lot of room to roam in there, and a lot of different bucks to pick up on. Yeah. Ended up in a scenario where couldn't get in a tree because if you got more than like ten feet off the ground, there was zero shooting lanes. Every there's is thick underneath, so got down on the ground, uh, got behind a nice log, hanging out. Uh, squirrel was coming right down a tree at me, so I was like, oh, I'm gonna you know snap this one out. So as yeah. uh, so just sitting there snapping it and I looked over, I heard something and I looked over and there was a doe at like six yards, just staring at me. It's like, yeah. what are you? <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, shit, you got me. Um, but one of those mornings, super quiet, uh, rained the night before I worked my way in super quiet. She worked her way to me. Very quiet. Yeah. Um, had they no idea. Up. It's it's almost like a luck thing too. You put yourself in a right situation, but you have to have a little luck on your side to like capitalize on your, you know, the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. So then with the with moving around on this on this piece that you're going after in Tennessee, like in the mornings, are you like going in in the dark? Are you going in in the dark? Are you waiting for light so that you can work your way through? What are you doing? I. I'm not a big proponent unless I know, unless I know where I'm going, I'll wait till it gets daylight. Okay. Like, easy daylight because I, there. what's the point of going through somewhere in the dark that you've never been and to get to somewhere to just walk through it again on the way out and be like, oh, this, what, this is where they were at in the morning or, you know, blow them out. It's just, yeah. I like to utilize every little you know, thing. I how many times have you pulled into a public parking spot, and there's been a rub right on it, right beside the parking lot? Yeah, happens all the time. All the time, and and people are like, "Well, that happened." At, but how how close were they? How close are they betting to that? They could be betting right off the road, and everybody's going around them, and you don't know it. But if you're yeah. there in daylight you could potentially figure that out because you might look over, see a piece of thick stuff or you might catch movement or there's just so many, I just enjoy going in, in the daylight. Yeah. I, you know, case in point, um, taking my dog for a walk, the other, not same morning as I ran into that other pheasant hunter, different morning, uh, different parking access pulled in, uh, made it 150 yards and there's a big thicket that is I've walked through it once it's kind of a real shithole and um, ended up I looked at it I was like I'm not going to walk through that and I walked around this big kind of CRP field came back and um, just ended up on a trail that took me to that thicket jumped a doe out of there and I know there are people gun hunting that I saw six trucks in the parking lot during the last day of gun season right there and if you were sitting in your truck, you could have shot this thing under a hundred yards. Like happens all the time sitting right there, you know, and keeping an eye on you. I've learned that by tracking deer in the snow. Um, but also you gotta, we, we have to remember as hunters that they, these deer live in the woods 24, seven, three, six, five. So if you're laying, think about if you were just laying in the woods, right? Three, 400 yards from a parking lot and a road system you can listen to all the activity going on at all times. You can hear them come in. 
Then you can see their headlamps, walk down a trail, go into here. And then at 9.30, they usually come out, go back to their trucks. Like deer literally pattern people as much as we pattern them. Yes. So it, it, if I've, I've hunted like that midday thing. And why do you think a lot of, you'll hear a lot of big bucks being shot that 1030 to two o'clock time um, near public ground or maybe whatever, even private because you're, they pattern you to that's they've, they've been there for five years and they never hear commotion that time of day. So right. they think it's the safest possible time. And that's why the nighttime activity is so great in some areas. Cause there's no, there's, they're never pressured in the night. They just learn right. that and, they, and they're just, they're preyed on all the time by different predators and us being the, being one. So they just pattern us as much as we pattern them. Yeah. I, you know, that was one of the things that Levi Morgan, like number one tip is, is I think it was like maybe last year was just like, Number one tip was know that those big mature deer pat are patterning you as much as you're trying to pattern them. <laughs> right. And it, and it becomes, you know, it, the, the, your successes are going to spike once you, once you learn certain things like that, you know, like staying all day and you don't have to stay in a tree all day, stay in the woods all day. You know, I, I, I might hunt all day take my lunch and stuff, but I might move. I'll get down. I'll go scouting around in this direction and then come back to the tree for the evening. It yeah. did nothing. For, I mean, yeah, there's some ground scent, but most deer on public know they're getting hunted and they know what human scent is. You know, they're, they're weary of it, but they'll just walk right over it. I mean, in yeah. some places I hunt, it's a, there's a hike, a, a big hiking trail and a hiking system that is used religiously. And actually the biggest deer that I've been targeting for past three years lives right beside it. And I, I guarantee he's been jumped and seen by many hikers. And it just, he, he knows that he knows. He's used to it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean that I, I could, I can certainly understand that. And that was one of the things um, Zach Farrenbaugh from the hunting public chatting with him about. It's like, man, I, there is a very real difference between a deer, like smelling your boot tracks that are two hours old, that you were there for like a quarter split second versus getting a full nostril of you downwind at 50 yards. Like yeah. that's a whole different scenario for that deer. It completely, you, you'll watch a deer like if you've been fortunate enough to watch deer just cut cut your track, they'll stop, they'll look around, and then they'll just kind of shake it off and keep going because they they know like it's old, it's right, it's not a threat at the moment. Yeah, and how many how many times in the winter do you see deer tracks in your boot tracks? A lot, right? I they're like, dude, this is easier than plowing through this snow, <laughs> and that's in you know. I just use, so once it hits December, I mean, me being a Northern guy, you being a Northern guy, it, I start switching my patterns over to, okay, what would you do if you're in case shed hunting and going to scout? Mm -hmm. I just kind of do the same thing and trying to catch them before they, you know, basically shed their antlers when they're, when the season's still in. Sure. So I just, I want to talk, you got a really nice buck down in New York and I, I want to get to that. But I kind of want to like a couple of things about like your, your approach here. 
So when you're when you're coming in uh, on this piece, like you're gonna come in during daylight, um, decent amount of daylight. Go scout. Like you kind of have a rough idea as to where you're generally gonna go, but at the same time, you could just get out there, be totally wrong, follow the sign, and just figure out where you yeah, want to end up. I just wing it. Yeah. So what do you like? When do you like? If you all of a sudden find some decent sign at I don't know eight thirty in the morning, um. It's 8.30, it's December 8th or 9th. And are you like, it's eight, yeah. And it's 8.30, a uh, piece of public. Are you going to pop a tree right there? Are you going to try to find a place to set up for two hours, three hours? Or are you going to like probably, note it, probably keep moving? Probably not. Um, I don't know enough about the area and, to, and just the, I've never, like I said, I've never hunted Tennessee here. So I don't know. Is it the end of their rut? I mean, is the deer movement, like how much pressure was there last week? How much pressure was there three weeks ago? Um, I don't know the these things. So basically I like that. I'm probably going to stay on the ground for a day or two. Um, and I might slow down. I might hunt a spot for an hour and then be, and then just, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty impatient person. So <laughs> It's weird being a hunter, but I'm really impatient. Um, so I will, I, I do it all the time. I'll sit in one spot and just stand there for a while, maybe an hour, hour and a half. And then I'll move hundred yards and do it again. And it's just basically, you know, you see different things. You don't get bored as easily. You kind of stay more focused on the task where if you stay in one spot and just to me, sitting is not hunting. Hunting sure. to me is finding, like hunting the animal and finding where they're at, at that given time. And there is a reason they're there. Yeah. There's always a reason for something being where they're at. So I actually enjoy the chase more than the actual wait. Um, Cause otherwise, if you just wait in one spot, you're going to get on your phone. If you have service, you're going to be twiddling on your thumbs. You might accidentally fall asleep. You're going to eat your snacks. You're going to, you know, just right. kind of try and kill time. When that whole time, if I do that and sit there, I'm like, man, what if they're just bedded 200 yards from me this whole, this entire time? Yeah. I, I, I just, I'm like, I'm going to go find out. Yeah. I dude, uh, uh, public ground, like new ground FOMO is very real. Yeah. Like you're just always like, what's over that rise? what's over that rise like yeah there's a nice scrape here but what if there's an even bigger one 100 yards away <laughs> yeah it, it, right that's the and i think that's kind of what i love that i love the chase about is kind of just figuring out as much possible information as i can um like i, I mean where i'm from thirty thousand acres is a small piece like it's 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 yeah i can't cover it all but i've walked it all in my in in the past couple of years but again, I had like, even though I, I know how the terrain lays out, I don't know what this year's sign looks like. So it's just constantly like, oh, I remember there three years ago, there was a big rub scrape system here. Go check it out. Oh, it's dead. No acorns. Okay. Go here, check it out. I, it's just constantly like, what's over here? What's over here? What's over here? And yeah. it can, sometimes it can shoot you in the foot because you're constantly chasing. Um, you're, you're just behind. It's, it's hard to cat, like basically find the sign and be in front of it instead of being always behind it. Yeah. Find like, 
Yeah, that is a very, I love that point because sometimes you find like sign under a good oak or you find great sign in an area and you're like, all right, is this sign one day old or four days old? And yeah. are they coming back here tomorrow or are they done with this and they're moving on to a new new set? Yeah, because think how many times you probably ran trail cameras like the next guy. How many times have a scrape been hot and then all of a sudden it went dead for like three days? Yeah. Oh, but yeah. if you found it on that last day and that was your first time, you're like, man, this was just hit. And then you sit on it and it's nothing for three days long. You're like, this is terrible. Well, yeah. Like, What's going on here? What, that's what oh, you're constantly that's, asking that's, yourself. That's your chance that you're going to take mm-hmm. where I just, I like hunting, finding sign, but I like to find sign that's like, okay, this is a week old, 100 yards is two, three days old. This one's today. So that means they are here for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And you find the droppings and, and you find rubs and stuff. And it's just like, okay, this is a, this is the little area. This system is used for an extensive period of time. It's, it's you got a pretty good starting point. And then when you actually sit there and watch and see what's going on okay they're coming from this direction like down you know down off of this point they're betting up here okay i can move a little bit closer and then you're just kind of honing in on on that specific yeah do you for this like for this tennessee hunter these how long are you there i'm here for 10 days maybe 10 days are you are you bringing cameras with you I have 12 with me. Holy shit. Are you going to, are you planning on dropping them? I have eight cell cams with me. Yes. And the the reason being is, uh, you know, if I find a Creek crossing, um, I'm going to throw one on it. Yeah. You know, cell cams can tell you. So, I mean, direct data, like right now, um, they can hurt you. But if I got cell coverage, I can like put them up. And I, I like to put them on a lot of, I mean, this, these are like some of the secrets I use back home, but it's you don't big. need to, you don't need to disclose. No, run trail cameras right off the of roads, man. Like right off the road there. It tells you time frames that deer are crossing. So it just, okay. You, how many times have you been driving down a road and you're like, man, look at that trail. Yeah. Who, but whoever thinks to put a camera, like, 10 yards off the road right i do it all the time and i'm like okay they're crossing at like nine o'clock at night so that means they're a good distance away from this trail system okay they're coming from deeper into this timber or they're coming from across the road and basically you can be like this is a because i've done it where this is a heavy trail it's being used daily but they're coming from where i can't hunt uh so basically it's like, okay, I can't even hunt here because they're not here in, in, in a daylight. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's pointless to even try. Consider it. Yeah. Just move on. You can. Yeah. What it does is it tells me where to hunt, but it actually tells me where not to hunt more often. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. I mean, I, yeah, I have one camera that I ro- rolled up on or how often I have one camera that I've, that I've placed right off the road and it certainly gave me good data, but how often are you leaving the public and you see a good buck crossing a road? Right. And you're like, 
holy shit, where'd you come from? Like, and then you kind of, from there backtrack, like, you know, well, he's on the road and it's only, you know, whatever, 30 minutes after dark. So he's got to be pretty darn close. So yeah. how close can, are there, is there an area that I can hunt within, you know, I don't know, 200, 300 yards of this spot? Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, when you go to different States, like I do and bounce all over, how fast can you put a P how fast can you put the puzzle together is basically it. Yeah. Take it. You think take 10 days is going to be enough. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, I think it's enough. Um, I think I, so too. I think I, you can get it. it's, it's not that I might be successful, but I'm going to have an opportunity and am I going to be able to capitalize on that opportunity? Yeah. That's going to be the deciding factor. Um, and then I also, you know, I I'm different than, a lot of listeners where they're not filming. So my opportunity and getting it on film is going to be the hard part where mm -hmm. I could put the camera aside and might capitalize on that opportunity. But I want to make that, you know, that's the, the next level of it. It just throws another monkey wrench into the whole, you know, algorithm that you're trying to, you know, yeah. Right. Yep. Tried to, I tried to film. So I, I film most of my hunts as well. Um, but the, uh, like this year I was certainly humbled and reminded that it's, it's not so easy. Cause I had a doe coming in, spotted her at like 30 yards. She had no idea I was there. I was like, all right, when do I draw? When do I move my camera? How do I figure out where she's going to be so that I can set my camera, then draw at the same time and like figure this whole shenanigans out. And then she ended up like going, I'm right-handed. She had come in on the right, but then I was like trying to mess with my camera to get her. And then I realized like I had to grab my bow. I had to go over my tether. When I went over my tether, she picked that up. And I was just like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> just, yep. She picked me and she shot out of there. She got out. And that's, um, that's something that, you know, and that's what I'm going to talk about in this New York thing that I'm proud of is not only, so I, I killed that buck on the ground, but I got him on film. Yeah. Spot Let's talk about that hunt, man. You know, it, it was a spot and stock hunt, basically a tracking. Like, I, I love tracking deer. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things. I grew up doing it. Um, I learned uh, a ton of information. I continue to learn things every day. I, I, I got it on a track, but basically I went up to New York Um to a piece that I've been to before that I harvested a buck last year. I went, I, and that was the same thing. So I replicated it two years in a row and I'm going to dive in more because I know there's, there's better deer there, but I was happy with both the ones I take. I took um, last year, same thing. Went up there on a whim, cut a track in the snow in a system that I basically wouldn't want to get away from people. Tracked it a while, lost it, tracked another buck for a while, lost it, made a big circle, found a buck feeding on a on, on the ridge I was walking and shot him. Night. <laughs> but uh this morning this this year in New York, I went back to the same place to start. Same right. big big ridge system, the same bowl. Um cut a track, followed it all day long. And ended up having to leave that track because it he did big big deer do a they'll do a circle if you jump them they'll make this giant circle it might take them all day um, but it, it's it's just one of those things they'll do a big circle but he had the wind 
at my back now. He seen me once. He I was I knew for when you you're not going to get another opportunity. They're just going to always look over their shoulder and know they're getting followed. So you're not going to get a shot. So yeah. I left that track. And I knew that there was this these sets of tracks that I I, I crossed twice going into this into this big bowl, into this this south facing slope. It was he crossed, it was a two-day-old track, and then that it was the same age track coming back, and they were feeding basically to the west. And then I seen them again, basically it would have been that day's track, like at night, going back across. So he went in the in the time frame it was fresh snow in a day and a half he went across went back and went back across and i had an hour left of daylight so i said i'm going to go down into here and basically wait to see if he's going to feed across the bowl basically coming back to where he's these this system that he's been crossing and i happened to just i had five minutes of daylight i said screw it i'm three miles from the truck and normal people would have turned around and went to the truck, but I was like, I I'm here. Like, I'm going to go another 600 yards deeper and see if he's, he's in this big, big bowl. And I, I ended up glassing him up at 150 yards and set the camera down as fast as I could, got some film of him, let it, let it on him, crawled another 50 yards to get under the canopy and get a shot. And I, I ended up getting him. but nice. it just, it, my gut instinct. And, and I wouldn't have known that and went there, but that historical track, just a day and a half of the same one, because it was the size, the shape, the stride length, the, it was this, within 50 yards of each other. He went over, it was on a saddle. He went over, he went back and I found where they were feeding because that's where that first buck took me. Mm -hmm. And that's where I jumped him. He was feeding there in the morning. And did a big circle and when i when i crossed it again i was like i gotta stop here so i knew that this is where they were feeding crossed it back crossed it again i'm like where are they going to bed and just happened to catch them yeah dude that's that's really cool that's something that i'm not good at at all is is tracking and understanding like tracks like you mentioned like size stride length like similar I, scenarios. man I, i'm gonna that's one thing I've been asked a lot is to go into detail about tracking. There's so many small details in the track that basically will get you that next little step up in front. So just one thing that I'm going to do a series on is bucks will, they'll be walking and then all of a sudden you'll start seeing them like do a little zigzag and they'll get bigger. And basically what they're trying to do is catch you on their back, their back trail. So if you can do a, a, basically a big circle when you know that they're here, you know, when you know that they're doing that, yeah, you kind of get around and now they're looking at their trail, but you came off their trail at the right time. And now they're crossing in front of you looking back and you can catch them. There's a, but it, it, there's a, there's a certain yeah. period that they do that. And, and it's, and I've only learned that from doing it for six, eight years you know, tracking bucks, but mature deer will do a certain thing through the wood that younger deer will not. Yeah, dude, that's, that's really interesting. And I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not good at that at all. And I think like, I feel like that's one of those, those things that you, you could tell me how to do it, but you could also tell me how to do a push up, and I'm never really going to know until I do it. Yeah. 
That's, right? Like, yeah. I feel that's, like that's one of those scenarios. So, so this is an area you kind of knew, um, and you had seen that other, you'd seen that other buck in it when you got back to that feeding area after you'd crossed, like done the big loop, all of a sudden he had his wind in, in, in his favor. And you were like, all right, well, that, I can't yeah, there, so I, I jumped him in the morning at like eight 30. I didn't get okay. a shot at him. Um, they took off. And by the time I caught back up to him, it was like a mile and a half. Um, and they were calm back down. They were feeding again, but they kept moving through the timber all day. And uh, I caught movement again, but it wasn't quite quiet enough to get within that 150-yard threshold to break that bubble to get a shot opportunity with a, with a rifle because um, it was it's pretty open woods. And then they did a big circle. I jumped them again a second time mm-hmm. because they went down across a ravine up the other side. And I just, they seen me before I could see them. It was just, it happened. One of those, yeah. They took off and I, I was like, okay, I got five hours of daylight left. I'm going to follow him again, see where they go. Cause he was a pretty good 10 point, probably like 130, 135. You know, and then they, they went out across the second, second ravine to another hilltop. And now the winds crossing, cut across. And he got basically the wind at his back with his trip, you know, and, and I was like, I've already jumped him twice. He knows, I'm, he knows I'm following him. Right. I'm not, he's going to be watching the rest of the day behind his track. Now he also has the wind at his advantage. I, I am basically, I'm just following him to see where they're going now. Right. But okay. I tracked it on my maps and it's just, it's funny that he went within 300 yards of where I jumped him the first time. Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's backtracking, making that loop, like you said. Um, and I, uh, and I think like to a degree, you mentioned that loop earlier, like they have a loop pattern, like every fourth day they'll come through here, every sixth day or something like that, just in their daily life that they generally live anyway. Yeah. Um, so I think like on that level, it's almost like a micro scale of like, all right, we'll leave, but we're gonna come back through here. You mentioned that they didn't like bed at all, which I find interesting. Like, yeah. hey, do you run across that like often when you're running tracks or no? Um, yeah. So they don't in, in this northern country, they don't bed when if you jump them, they they won't bed for hours. Um they sometimes do, but your chances of catching them in a bed again are pretty hard because bedding areas are hard to slip in on. And how do you know you're coming up on a bed when you think they're just walking again? That's right. the that's the hardest part, is that that I jumped them on the second time because they did bed down, but they bedded basically to watch their back trail and have the wind at their advantage. And I was coming on their back trail. Yeah. It was, it, they always have, they always have the edge. It's just whether or not you can catch them, you know, before they just booger out of there. Right. Yeah. Or you can get some sort of lucky crosswind or something where you can just like slightly off. And then yeah, it, that's that's got to be like the hardest part is you don't know when they're going to stop. So you're like constantly looking ahead of you, right? Trying yeah, to see as far as you, you can. Know, and that's yours. And, and that's hard to figure out your speed, too, on like how do I how fast do I walk to catch up? How and that's just what I've learned through the years is I know what speed and I, I just and I'm constantly analyzing the track. You know using my binoculars and my, my, my 
and, and that's just how I hunt is I will literally like glass. I'm not looking for the deer. I'm looking for the track to see if it's starting to make a J hook to the left. Cause a lot of times I will like watch the tracks go through the timber and all of a sudden it'll like make a hard 90 degree turn. And then I'll fall. And then all of a sudden you can't see it anymore because it's over a ridge. And I just follow out and all of a sudden there, there they are, they're walking, you know, crosswind. And now you can circle on them and get the wind right. where if you were on their track the whole time, now they got the wind again. It's because wind is constantly like, it's not always perfectly in a straight line, you know, like definitely from the West, the prevailing winds from the West, but sometimes there's some North, sometimes there's South. So a big deer will always, when it changes, he'll switch and put his nose into the wind the entire time. Right. Yeah. Especially if he's no, if he knows something's big, up. the big yeah. Jake Belinda's after him. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's just, it, and that's what I've learned over the years. It's, I just have learned, okay, the track's doing this last time that they did this. I, they, they did this circle. So I need to go across. And if I don't, if I, if I'm wrong, What's nice about tracking in the snow is I can turn around and go back to that point and just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, can oh, no, that's... you can mess up, but then go basically restart. Right, right. Nah, that's pretty cool. It's a good tip. Um, so then when you came back to that spot where you found them feeding initially and you bumped them initially, is that when you crossed that other track of the buck that you ended up shooting? Is that when you crossed it a second time? Or did you know there were two sets there from the get-go? So, the beginning of the day, I, I seen that track and the first thing in the morning, but I knew it was like old. I was mm. like, it's not worth pursuing. And then um, I deviated off that trail and went down into the bottom. And that's where I ended up jumping those deer and finding the sign, the, the feed. Um, Cause here in the, in the, in the big woods where I was at in New York, we, we have oaks, but they don't always produce acorns. So you have to find secondary food sources, which is a lot of times fern, um, some type of grape, but there's sometimes grapes, there's cherry seed. Those are secondary food sources that are, that become primary food sources because we don't have a mast. So you have to find the, these digging areas and they're normally on certain slopes and terrain features. So I just, I went down into a bottom where I knew that this, there should be some feed and that's where I jumped them. And it just happened when I tracked them all day, he was headed back to that same area. Um, after this is after seven, eight hours, but that's when I crossed that buck track again, that big one. And mm -hmm. he was 150 yards from where I first seen it. And that was a, a year, a day basically newer. So I was like, okay, right. the same, it, it has to be the same deer. You know, it, what's the chances of two big buck tracks, same spot, same direction, walking, same stride length. And that's where learning stride lengths. So, you know, a certain caliber or size of deer, this is just body size. They'll tell you that basically a, a, a Mature deer stride length is roughly 16 to 18 inches in between each stride. Okay. So I learned like, okay, this is a big buck track. He's got like a 20 inch stride. This is probably a good deer. 
it's yeah. maturity or anyway. I'm going to follow. Yeah. And the chances of it being a good headgear is, is a plus side, but I mean, I'm after just bigger, mature deer. Yeah. Uh, and it just, I, I, he was a replicated track and I, that's where I kind of, it's like, man, I got a half hour daylight. I'm going to go up here 600 yards where I, you know, where I think that they're headed because I had to beeline. I didn't have time to follow the track. I just had to beeline to what, you know, they're not in the open timber on this, this hillside. They're probably across the ravine on that other hillside. I need to get over there as fast as I can. And I got there and I just, and you'll see on the video when I put it up, it was right across the ravine feeding. And I just caught him right before dark. Yeah. It was not a clue. I was there. That's awesome. And so then like, yeah, you kind of had an idea like historical, like they're probably over here. So I'm going to go give that a shot last 30 minutes run over there and you said you dropped your camera did you have it on like a tripod or yeah, i i had one but i didn't have time to even set it up i uh i dropped my backpack quick put my backpack on the on in the snow set the camera up on top of the pack got the deer in frame and then basically just said okay that's in frame good enough for me and just not basic because the camera angle you, you can see the deer perfectly fine but I couldn't get a shot opportunity. It was too thick with, with, you know, the canopy. So I had to drop down an elevation, probably 50 yards to get underneath the canopy to be able to shoot. Um, so I gotcha. sat down that's, and you'll see it on my secondary angle on my GoPro is where I got down and got under that canopy and cracked them. There that's, yeah, that's awesome. That'll be really cool. When, so for that, I, I know you have the void, which is yep. YouTube right and then otherwise like instagram is your main platform or do you yeah um, post elsewhere at instagram and youtube are going to be the main two um my jake belinda is just kind of like my personal stuff i'm transitioning everything over to the void um okay. onto that basically platform and, and then my channel um, being a one-man show it, it's really hard to make the content and then basically come back and edit it put it out there it's just a non-stop battle so it's it just it's like anything else it's a job and, and yeah so they're all coming out i have quite a bit of hunts coming out the elk hunt in september's coming out um last year's bow kills coming out i got like 15 turkey episodes i got i got a couple years worth of basically backed up hunts that's all going to kind of get out as fast as i can now that trickle in trickle out i guess once you yeah because the problem with doing it all yourself or the hard part is during hunting season you gotta like be you're spending every day every hour you can in the woods you're not editing yeah <laughs> that's exactly my and that's you know i i'd love to have that hunt out right now but i want more content basically for multiple things you know shooting for because i i do I do digital media for different companies and basically they need some content for launches coming up. Um, sure. you know, so it's not, it's also for me, but if I harvest something, I can use product shots, photography, videography stuff for upcoming launch dates. So it's kind of a plus plus where I'm working for myself, but also I have some companies that I need to do some work for. So that's going to, you know, I, that's more or less the end goal. Gotcha. Okay. And is that like, is that your main 
source of income? Is that your main yeah. job right now? Yeah. So uh, I'm full-time nice. uh, content stuff. Um, and then I, you're doing I, it for yourself too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and my, my family being taxidermists, um, I I've been a taxidermist pretty much a secondary taxidermist for a couple of years under my father. You know, I grew his, I, I helped grow his business a little bit more just to, so I could take on more work, but I'm only growing it to the point where I can handle the workload and not take on a full-time position there and try and do this. It's kind of, you got to have a happy medium. Right. Um, not after money. I'm after happiness and, and adventure. I love the adventure style. Yeah. Well, and that's another reason that you can't get all the videos out is because you got tags to fill yeah. adventures to have. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's awesome. All right. So, um, jumping back quick to the, to the Tennessee, like looking forward to December and what you're after, even in, so that buck that you got, um, on the ground was New York and, you know, PA has become, you right. Go through gun season in PA. That's difficult. And you got Flintlock. I think that's after gun, right? Yeah. Yeah. We got a two week period of, of basically uh, nothing, which is a big scouting time for me. Um, I'm going to basically find what made it through season. Um, hoping for a little bit of snow. Cause it tells me so much about just that data that I need to find deer mm -hmm. that aren't pressured and then food sources. And then I'll go into basically late season, which is muzzleloader and archery. And, uh, you know, hopefully, gotcha. but Tennessee yeah. here, you know, we're, I'm hoping to get it done in the 10, 10 day period. Yeah, dude, I, you know, one, of, I think that's certainly feasible. The um, one thing Aaron Warbritton talked to him as well from the hunting public and like, he thinks like his team with, with what they're usually doing, like last year, their biggest problem was they'd only spend five days somewhere. And he's like on day, like five, six and seven are when we like really start to like actually figure out what the heck we're doing. Yeah. That's, that's when you hone in on like all those previous days, you kind of break down the, 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 where you need to be and then you can start spending the three four days you need to kill in that spot it's pretty, right in that very it's pretty rare to jump yeah. into an area and find where you need to be day one that's it's pretty rare yeah and even if you do you're probably concerned that that's not where you need to be yes because you don't know what else is out there you may go walk right the other about three thousand acres that you're on and be like no actually the spot i found first was the best Yes, right. that's exactly that's exactly right. How many times you come back to Plan A thinking the Plan B, C, and D were better? Right, <laughs> but yep. you don't know until you basically cross everything off the board. Yeah, no, I I mean, I a hundred percent agree. It totally makes sense. So for the for the ten days, I mean, what your focus? You're you're gonna be scouting, but are you looking into? like is your main focus like food is it sign is it just fresh tracks is it try to find some pinch points and throw some cameras up is it all of the above first thing i'm going to look for is food food is number one no matter what everything has to eat and a big buck lives on his gut um that's just it it, it is what it is yeah and the more food you can find the better it's gonna okay. And I don't know this area enough. I, I got here in the dark. I didn't see what it looks like. I know it's kind of hit a little bit hilly terrain. I don't know the ag situations, if everything's cut, if everything's not cut. 
So tomorrow is kind of like my initial see what's going on, look to see if there's acorns on the roads, and that'll tell me if that there's some food around. Now I can start looking at maps and and honing on, okay, this is an oak flat. This is a, you know, a different food source, maybe green briars, maybe some multiflora rose, maybe some cucumber, um, some chestnut. I mean, there's so many different food sources and that's learning. I think the number one thing that to become a better hunter um, is to understand food in the area that you are basically at, at that time frame. So that's one thing I got to do yet tonight is I'm going to go into Tennessee's, you know, Department of uh, Agriculture on their state site, look at what they have in their areas and like what their primary, um, you know, foliage is like, you know, what, what do they have here in this area and then break it down from there. Yeah. Okay. So foods, foods, numero uno, and then kind of whatever. Covers number number two. Cover. Yep. Gotcha. Yeah. Being later in the year, a lot of the foliage is down, trying to find cover, bedding areas, safe, safe areas. And it's post guns beginning, you know, it's gun season's been in for a while. So it's, uh, there probably some pressure. So food cover. That's yep. Got it. All right. And is that, is that also what you're going after in PA when you get to that two week scouting window? Um, Food will be number one. Yep. Uh, cover is not so much. It's going to be more uh, like what the pressure situations were. Um, you know, you can go around to parking areas. You'll see like, okay, there was a bunch of trucks, tires that were in here, a bunch of boot tracks. Yeah. They were all headed this direction. So you can kind of like just micromanage me like, okay, nothing was parked to here very much, you know, and there's food here. There's cover here, probably deer here. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just whether or not it's going to be a deer that I want to chase. Sure. Yeah. In the absence of, in the absence of, uh, of snow really like, I, I have to imagine you're looking more to rely on your cameras and sign that you find. Uh, yeah. If there's yeah. no snow, it's more or less, it gets a little tougher, but it's still doable. Um, and then it goes back to historical data where I've seen, you know, where have I picked up sheds or where have I seen winter activity the past three, four years of scouting where, you know, and that's just keeping, keeping a good note system and learning an area pretty in depth. A lot of people bounce too much. Um, they give up very easily. You know, I keep, I might not hunt an area for three or four years, but I know what it was like three or four years ago. As long as it, nothing drastically changed, it should be replicable this year. Okay. Yeah. I can, that makes sense. Yeah. I got to check, you know, did they clear cut somewhere? Is there a new ag field? Did the, you know, department of natural resources come in and do something different? Yeah. We have, we have a lot of logging operations in the state forest of Pennsylvania. So it's, um, keeping up with that data is pretty, pretty extensive and hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I bet. Um, all right. Well, Hey man, I don't, I had, I think I had one. Oh, my last question I had for you before you wrap up, I know you got to go. I know it's, it's later for you and you're, you're hunting all day tomorrow. Um, 
what I don't, I have cell cams, but I don't have like a preference. I just have a, a big mixed bag. Mm-hmm. Do you have like of those eight, are they all the same? Like, do you have ones that you really like or? I, I got a plethora of companies, um, but I have found he didn't, he didn't, this past year, um, wild games have really stepped up their game. I don't know. Okay. Details why used to kind of not be the greatest now kind of are. Um, yeah. and you can get them kind of at a pretty good rate right now. They, they all, they're running some promos. So I ended up getting like five or six cell cams for pretty cheap. And they were running a promotion where every cell cam was a three month free subscription to the cell service. So after five of them, I got a, I, I basically got a year's worth of free cell coverage. So it's like, I don't have to pay anything for the cell cameras now. No, that's pretty slick. And that was a phenomenal thing for wild game. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, I've run Tacticams, uh, Cuddybacks, and I got Exodus as well. Um, the Exodus, I can't like, it's been really good, but it's, it's, I bought it as a father's day gift thinking I could give it to my dad and then steal it. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, he's been, he's been really happy with it and watching the driveway and watching, um, people coming in and out of our, our property and whatnot. So he's, he's been, he's been keeping it there. I haven't been able to take it from him yet. Um, but other than that, yeah, the, the couple Tacticams yeah. have been working out pretty decently and the, and the Cuddy backs have been doing pretty good as well, except for the, the battery life you have to get, you have to get the extension on the, on the Cuddy backs or get a solar panel or something. But other than that, they've been, they've been doing pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just, I tell people to get into like, why spend a hundred dollars on a trail camera and then throw a cheap SD card in it and cheap batteries. Like, that's like buying a good truck and then putting junk fuel in it. Yeah. Like you're, not getting, you're not getting the usability out of what you basically spent money on. Yeah. Spend money on good batteries and a good SD card. Hopefully it don't get stolen, knock on wood, but um, it's yeah. just. You can spend money on a good lock too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, I, I, uh, that's another thing that I'm going to be coming out a video with. Um, my locking system a cheap do do it yourself lock it's it's my buddy is a fabricator and he came up with this the i think we can make a lock and like the whole cable system for three dollars and 12 cents so that'd be awesome um basically it it not unbreakable but it keeps honest people honest if you're going to take the camera, you're going to figure out how to take the camera. Yeah. 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 But no, I've, we, anyone who's put cameras on, on pieces of public have, have experienced that. <laughs> yep. So we all hate it. Um, all right. Well, thank you, Jake. I really appreciate the time, man. Um, best of luck in, in your hunt over the next 10 days. If people want to find you and, and reach out to you or ask you any questions or anything like that. What's the, what's the best place? Uh, my probably, uh, the void hunt on Instagram or Jake Belinda on Instagram. I mean, I'm on it pretty much every day. I like to put up, uh, daily stories on like what I'm doing. I I try to keep up to date information on basically what I'm doing. Many micro hunts, um, throughout the day. So you want to watch it unfold real time. I, I put it on my stories. So that's kind of like the best best opportunity 
But I'm, I'm, I'm open to sharing information, so don't be afraid to ask. All right. Yeah, and I will put both of those tags in the show notes for anyone who's listening. Just go to, go to scroll down there. You'll see them right there, and you can jump to them. All right. Well, thanks, Jake. Really appreciate it, man. Again, yeah, best it. luck in Tennessee. Go knock them out, man. Find thanks, one. Man.